We're going to continue in a series called Mental, and we're in week six of that. And um, if you haven't caught the first part, you can always go to our YouTube channel and, and catch up. If you haven't been to our YouTube channel in a while, I encourage you to go. We've been uh, uploading a lot of our old life group videos, uh, old sermon series that before we started broadcasting live to YouTube, it's all on there now. It's neatly you know, organized in playlists and things like that. So you can always go catch up. It's a good way to feed yourself throughout the week, you know, listening to the Word of God. Do it while you're working out, while you're getting dressed, while you're driving in your car. Just stay full of the Word. You know, that, that's, that's a good thing to be feeding on as opposed to all the junk and mess that's out there. So, yeah, go to our YouTube channel. Check it out when you're not here. Watch live on YouTube. You can, you can share it with people that need it. It's very easy to share with friends through text and email and things like that. It's a great resource that we use. So uh, check it out. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, do so because that way when we post something new, you'll get an alert and those types of things. But this morning, we are continuing the series Mental, and we're talking about having a sound mind this morning. In the book of Second Timothy, Paul tells Timothy that God's not given us a a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind. And I want to talk to you about what a sound mind is, and that's been part of this series, is is focusing on the mental part of our existence. Of course, we know we are a spirit. That's the primary part of us. That's the eternal part of us that is like God. We have a body, a physical body, that is dying and wasting away. Uh, and frail and affected by sin and all of that. And then our mind is another big part of who we are. This is what makes up man. Now look, at, look with me in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And we're going to read something that Jesus said. I love this passage because people have so many different ideas about God, who God is, what God is like, what God's thinking you know, you ever, you ever had a relationship where uh, maybe there was a little bit of a rift or a division, and then the next time you saw that person, you didn't really know what they were thinking? You know, you're like, are we good? Or is there any, like, wh- I wish I could know what you were thinking. I think sometimes people feel like that with God. You know, it's like, well, he saw what I did this week, and now I'm in church this morning, and are we good, God? You know, how, how, how is everything? And I love this passage because it just gives us the heart of God. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. That, that's pretty much the existence on this planet. Laboring, working, toiling, fighting, dealing with sin, fighting sin, fighting sickness. You know, uh, it seems like you're in a fight all the time. You're, always, you're fighting aging, you're fighting, you know, health problems, you're fighting sin, you're, you're, and you're fighting to be spiritual and to live for God and those kinds of things. So he said, look, all you who labor and are heavy laden, meaning you're burdened down with something. You're you're weighed down by something in this life. You're you're carrying something that's just crushing you. He says, all who labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Isn't that an amazing promise from God and a revelation into the heart of God for you that he says, when you're, when, you're, when you're working and you're carrying, you're doing those things, you're, you're carrying those heavy burdens. He says, not only uh, do I recognize it and I notice it and I care about it. He says, I give you a standing invitation 
to come to me and receive supernatural rest. And I dare say there are many that go day after day after day, even though their heavenly Father has this standing invitation, day after day without ever receiving this supernatural rest that is available to you. And we just do it in our own strength. We work, we toil, we do it by the arm of the flesh, and yet we're not coming to God to get this supernatural rest. Look at what he keeps saying in verse 29. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Now that word soul in the Bible, it encompasses many things, but one of the things it encompasses is our mind. So he says, when you come to me and you bring all of these things and you take my yoke upon you, and and by the way, taking his yoke upon you, part of what that means is you're probably laying down another yoke that you weren't supposed to be carrying and you're taking up the one that God has for you. I'm telling you, I've... In, in this life, and we've all, had, we've all figured, had to figure this out, but we've all had to figure out how to say no to things that we have no business doing and that God's not asking us to do and to pick up the things that God's asking us to do. And when you pick up the things that God asks you to do, look at this. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and you have to ask yourself this sometimes as you go through this life. You have to ask yourself... Does the burden and the yoke that I'm carrying, does it feel easy and does it feel light? And if not, what's the problem? By the way, doesn't mean that it is easy and light. It means that because it's his yoke, there's a grace on it, there's an anointing on it, there's supernatural help so that it feels easy and light when you're doing what God's called you to do. You know, there, there are some really large things that I can carry that God's asked me to do. But if I get off into something I'm not supposed to be doing, that might be a lot smaller than this other big thing that I'm carrying. It can feel burdensome. It can cause stress. It can cause anxiety. Why? Because it's not his yoke. It's one that I took upon myself. Uh, maybe because I just had a good idea and I, and I thought I should do it. Maybe because I was pressured into do it. Maybe because I care too much about the opinions of other people. Maybe because I'm a man pleaser and I don't want to disappoint other people and I don't like other people being mad at me. Maybe that could be why we pick some things up. But how many of you know, any time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. You know, if, if I say yes to something that I'm really not supposed to be doing, then I might find myself saying no to God. Because he had something else I was supposed to be doing with my time and my efforts and my energy. But I wanted you to see this part in Matthew 11 that when we come to God, he wants us to be, he wants us to find rest. He wants it to be easy. He wants the burden to be light. And so many of us are not experiencing that in our lives. This is the most stressed, full of anxiety. You know, just it feels, feels like you got your hair in knots, you know, fr- frizzed out generation that we've ever seen. People just stressed on in, all, about everything. And there's reasons for that. There's reasons for that. And what we have to get back to is how do we have this sound mind that the Bible talks about? How do we, in a world that is going crazy, how do we carry the mind of Christ and, and walk in that peace 
that he promised us and that rest that he promised us. Because, remember, what is, whatever is going on up here is going to affect everything else in your life. If you are unhealthy up here, if you have negative, wrong, unbiblical thought patterns, it will express itself out here. Because the, the heart works its way into the mind, and then the mind expresses itself out through the body. And we already talked about that in the first part of the series. Now this morning I'm going to give you two things. If we could, if we could take each person and we could like the picture, we could go in and do a little tinkering you know, on the mind and fix a few little things. Over the next two weeks, uh, or the next two sermon series, uh, I'm going to give you four things that I think are crucial for a healthy, perfect, sound mind for a believer. Now, we're not going to get to all four today. We're going we're to only be able to do two today. And remember, what we're doing with this is we're setting a baseline, okay? Because no one is going to walk in this perfectly. So what I'm doing is this morning is I'm, I'm setting the perfect. In other words, if it was a perfect world and this is how we could all think and live, this is what it would look like. But we're going we're gonna to struggle to do this until we go on to eternity to be with God forever. We're never going to quite accomplish that level of perfection here. But I'm setting the baseline so that we at least know what we ought to be reaching for. Okay? So a perfectly sound and healthy mind, number one, a healthy, sound mind would know that they are 100% accepted and loved by God. Okay, this is number one. This is the number one area that I think causes poor mental health is not believing, not understanding that we are 100% accepted and loved by God. Now, when God created us, I, I believe that he put something in us that will never be at peace when there is a, a gap between us and God, when there is a, a division between us and God. You'll never be at peace. Look, if, if you know the truth and, and you, you're a believer, you know the Bible, you know right and wrong, and you're out living a, a way that you shouldn't live, you'll never be at peace like that, and it will cause you terrible mental health. You will, you will walk in a level of stress and discomfort and anxiety because you know that you are not right with God and that will always cause you an issue and until you get that right you're all there's always going to be that problem there how so that could be part of it but then even for believers that are trying to do right trying to follow God they're they're surrendered to Christ how many of you know that even that type of person you're never going to be perfect you're, you're never going to, you know, you're never going to not make any mistakes again. You're never not going to sin again. But through that, we've got to know how God feels about us and, and how he views us. And this one thing, when you have this right, this one thing will cause you to live in a place of perfect peace. When you know how God's thinking about you. Let's start here. This may actually help you because you, you might be thinking, well, yeah, I know God loves me. I've been, I've been hearing that since the time I was a kid. Jesus loves you. Everybody knows that. Jesus loves you. No, you, you know it up here. But I don't think we sometimes understand the, the battle that goes on in, in the mind that Satan wages to make us feel condemned, 
to make us feel beat down, to make us feel not worthy enough, to not make us feel good enough. Those, fight, those fights are always going on. So let, let's start right here. Answer the question in your mind, why did God create man in the first place? Why did God create man? Obviously, he didn't have to do it. He was happy, you know, him, the Trinity, you know, him, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the angels. They had a good life going on before man. I think all we did was cause problems. I don't, why did he create us? And you'll hear a lot of things. When you get, if you get real theological and, they, and people try to answer, you'll hear different things. Here's a common one that you'll hear. To worship him. Okay? So the idea is God created man to worship him. That per, just not trying to, you know, ruffle any feathers this morning, that sounds a little odd to me, personally. Like, that, that makes it sound like, you know, God has some, some hole in his heart that he's not complete unless he's just got millions of people worshiping him. I, I don't think God created us to worship him. Should we worship out of the response of what he did? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Is that part of our relationship? Of course. But did God wake up one day and say, man, I just need a few billion people to worship me. You know, I'm not real secure in who I am and I just need, no, I, I, I think God was perfectly fine without our worship, so to say. Some people say, well, you know, he created man to glorify him, meaning that through what we do and act, it, it gives him glory because of the creation and how everything was perfectly orchestrated and works and, and the things that mankind can do and build, that that, that brings glory to God. Listen, I, again, I think God was pretty happy with his glory. I don't think he needed any validation from man to bring him glory. I think he already had plenty of glory. And I don't think he needed people to somehow validate that. And people will say, well, God created man to love him because he, he wanted he wanted there to be that love relationship. And so all God wants from you, you know, is your love. While that's part of it, I do think that one's getting a little bit closer. Let me, let me put it to you like this. God created you so that he could love you. It, it's not for what you can do for him. And, and it's real simple. Um, all you have to think about is why did you have kids? Did you create kids to worship you? <laughs> if so, you were sorely disappointed. <laughs> did you create kids to glorify? Did you, did you create kids so that you would have somebody to love you? If so, you need to go to counseling. You have a problem. You have a big hole in your heart. Uh, if you're looking for your kids to fill that hole in your heart, like, I, I want to have kids because I just wanted somebody to love me. Well, go get a dog. They're much better at it because it's very unconditional. Look, my dog, never mind. I'm not even going there. But I'm shocked at the unconditional love my dog gives me, by the way, and I'm not even the greatest owner. But anyway, did you create your kids for any of those reasons? Now, I'm not saying there's not some, like, dysfunctional people that are unhealthy and they wanted to have kids for the wrong reasons. But in general, why did we choose to have children? Because we wanted to share our love with you. Everything we do for our children comes from a place of sacrifice. 
I sacrificed my money for you. I sacrificed my time for you. I sacrificed my prayers for you. Matter of fact, the first several years, or maybe even the whole time, it's really not much that they're giving back to you. It's all about what you're giving to them. And if you didn't know that and you have kids, just be prepared, especially those first few years. You, don't get, you get a little smile every now and then and a little, a little coo, coo, and, and, you know, that kind of But most, 99% of it is you sacrificing for them and loving them unconditional when they spit up on you, when they pee on you. When they wake you up in the middle of the night and you love them over and over, you love them unconditionally, you love them, you sacrifice, you give for them over and over and over again. And let me just tell you something, the greatest, best parent that's ever walked the face of this earth doesn't begin to even scratch the surface compared to God's love for his children. From day one, all God has been doing is sacrificing for his kids sacrificing and giving sacrificially to his kids. Now, should we rightfully, as our kids should, should we have a heart of gratitude and worship and those things out of it? Yeah, of course. But that's not why God created us. God created you so that he could love you and share his greatness with you. All you got to do is read the book from beginning to the end. In the beginning... What's he do? He creates the heavens and the earth. He makes the earth perfect, and then he sets man right in the middle, and he says, this is yours. Rule, reign, live in it. This is, this is your, the garden, how perfect the garden was. All the way at the end, I mean, of course, we got Jesus in the middle on the cross that we could talk about, but all the way at the end, what are we going to find out? The Bible says that God made you a, a co-heir with Jesus Christ, meaning you're going to receive the same inheritance that Jesus received. That's another big revelation that a lot of Christians don't have and don't understand. But when it's all said and done, you will be receiving the same inheritance that Jesus Christ received for, for his life and sacrifice. So God, God didn't create you for something you could do for him. He created you to show and demonstrate his love to you, to like, like us as parents, to share our life with you, with our children. So why is this so important? Well, when first of all, it's going to affect everything in your life. It's going to affect how you pray. You know, if you don't understand this, a lot of people are scared and afraid to go to prayer. You don't even maybe realize that's why you're doing it. But there's this aversion, oh, I don't want to go in there. Why? Because you're afraid you're going to be condemned. You're going to be beat down. You're going to be judged. You're going to have to face all your problems. Look, there's no greater person you could go to with all of that than the one who loves you most. But it's the same thing Adam and Eve did in the beginning. They tried to go and hide. You know, they, try, they tried to run away from the presence of God. Well, when God, when God showed up, he was the one that actually was going to provide the solution for their problem. Look at this in Psalm chapter 139, verse 13. It says, For you formed my inward parts, meaning my, my organs, inward parts of me, the intricate details, all the complicated parts. You formed that. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Now, I want you to think about your life when we read this. Because this, this applies to every one of us. When you were being formed in your mother's womb, it says God already knew you. He already knew every detail of your life. It says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Meaning before you lived the first day on this planet, God knew your name. He knew everything about your life. He knew the beginning from the end, how it would play out. He knew all of it. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. So, see, for us that sounds complicated to imagine God thinking of every person like that. But it's no difficulty for God to think of every single human being exactly like David was describing here. It's as if you were the only one. He can give his attention. He's omnipresent. So when, when God, you know, you think, oh, I don't know, some, we get these crazy ideas. You know, oh, well, God's busy. There's a lot bigger things going on in the world. No, he could deal with that, and he can also deal with what's going on in your life. When you go to God in prayer, it's as if you're the only person alive on the planet. You have his full and undivided attention. And he invites us to be in that relationship with, with us. I believe that knowing this, understanding this, is the number one ingredient to having a sound mind. A sound and clear mind. Because the more you believe this and understand this, what will begin to happen is other things will not affect you as much. When you know that you are completely loved and accepted by God, and that he has an eternal place for you in, in heaven, all the other stuff that starts to bother us begins to be way less important. Because, yeah, oh, my car could break down. Oh, this person's mad at me. Oh, the job, this happened on the job. Yeah, but God loves me. God loves me. And God is for me. And he's got, a, he's got an eternal place prepared for me. So this is the number one ingredient when you, when you are going to have a sound mind is to believe and know the love of God that he has for you. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love. Think about that. How many of you are afraid of God? How many of you are afraid to die? How many of you are afraid or you could say embarrassed or you could say ashamed? These are all derivatives of fear ashamed before God. Look, he says, there is no fear in love. In other words, when you have a perfect understanding of God's love, it casts all of that out. Do you have anybody in your life like that? Well, you probably have both kinds. You probably have people in your life that you're afraid to share information with because what? You know they're going to judge you. They're going to think different of you. They're going to think negative. Then you have people in your life you know you could share anything with and they're going to love you. <laughs> they're going to accept you. They're going to work with you through it. They may challenge you on it, but it's out of a heart of love. It's out of a place of love. He said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
Look, fear, fear is one of the big problems of having an unhealthy and an unstable mind. It's one of the big problems of, of having mental problems and mental issues is fear. And this is what he says, perfect love casts out fear, meaning when you are perfected in the love of God, perfected in your knowledge of the love of God, it casts that out. Anytime you are experiencing fear in your relationship with God, you know you've not been perfected in his understanding, in your understanding of the love of God. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. You see, and this is where it begins to be reciprocal, is when the more you are loved by God, the more you can love God. And this is the, this is the cycle. When you, when you read the, uh, the, the, when Jesus said what the greatest commandments were, he said, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then love your neighbor as yourself. This is what I've found. The people who can actually love God the way he said, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, the, on, the only people that can actually love God like that are those who have experienced and encountered that love and live daily in that love. You'll never be able to love God like you're supposed to until you first receive his love. So here would be my challenge to you. Quit trying to love God and work instead on allowing yourself to be loved by God. And when you experience that love from God, that, it'll, it'll come out of you naturally to love Him. And then, only then, when you have that part, then you'll be able to love your neighbor as yourself. Because guess what? You'll never be able to love your neighbor as yourself until you've experienced that kind of unconditional love from God. Once you've experienced that kind of unconditional love from God, then you can give that love away to other people. But you have to first walk in this. So he said, fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Look, I challenge you in this. When you show up to prayer tomorrow morning, and I say that, you know, as a matter of fact, knowing that every person in this room is going to get up and spend time with God in the morning. Amen. I heard two amen. Praise God. That was good. Some of you ain't prayed in months. Don't lie in church. You, ain't even, you can't even find your Bible. But anyway. But when you get up and pray in the morning, don't go there to ask God for something. Don't go there to do something for God. Don't go there even, even to repent and grovel. Go there and sit and say, God, I'm here to be loved by you this morning. See, that's different for some people. That's different for some people. Now, I'm not saying you won't get to other things in prayer. I'm not saying that God won't eventually want to talk to you about some things and challenge you on some things and help you grow in some areas, of course. But that all has to come out of love. Well, who was it that said, you know, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care? It's kind of the same thing with God. You know, you, if you just, every time you go to God, it's all about, oh, God, I know I need to change. I'm never good enough. And you just grovel, grovel, grovel. I think sometimes God just wants to pick us up and slap us and say, would you quit? Would you, just, would you just sit down here and show up? I'm just glad you came to spend time with me this morning. I mean, how many of you have that kind of weird, dysfunctional relationship with your kids? Every time they, you get up, first thing, they get out of bed, and they come in, oh, Dad, I'm just so sorry for what I did yesterday. I just, you know, I just, I didn't do what you asked me, and I did, but then I didn't do it perfect, and I just, I, 
if one of my kids got up early and wanted to come sit in my lap and have a cup of coffee with me, I wouldn't have a care in the world about what they did yesterday. Today's a new day. <laughs> and the Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. I would say, would you shut up and quit talking about that and let's just... I want to talk about you. Let me tell you how important you are to me. Let me tell you how much it means to me that you got up this morning and you wanted to come talk to me. That would be the whole thing. But see, we, we have this dysfunctional thing in our mind. And I don't know if we've heard too much hellfire and brimstone preaching, you know. There's a place for that. But I don't know if we just heard too much of that, that it's like permanently ingrained up here. I don't know if it's that... You know, the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren and that he lives night and day to bring accusations against. And so we just feel that condemnation. I don't know if some of us just don't like ourselves enough and we, we hate ourselves. I don't know what it is. But we have to meditate and renew our mind on this fact and believe it by faith. Even when you don't feel it, that's what faith is, is to say, I don't care how I feel. I know that God loves me. And I know that I'm accepted by God. And I know that this morning, he's not angry with me. He's not disappointed with me. He wants to fellowship with me. Go read all the scriptures where he talked about it. I mean, we just read the one in Matthew. What about in Revelation 3 where it says he stands at the door and knocks? And anyone that will let him in, he'll come in and fellowship. And, and, and dine with them. And they with him. So the most powerful thing you can do for your mental health is to meditate on the fact that you are loved and accepted by God. And you will have to remind yourself of this over and over. Is there a place for repentance? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's no one who forgives quicker than God. You know, I, I, I sometimes translate my relationship with God to my marriage. You know, I would never want my wife walking around thinking that I'm holding yesterday's uh, grievances against her. You know, if, if she comes and says, hey, look, I'm sorry about that. We shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done. You know, let, let's move on. Great, let's move on. Let's, let's move on. Because I want to show the same love and compassion to her that I want to receive from God. And by the way, those things are connected. That's another sermon. So, but this will translate to how you pray. Some t so many people don't want to go to the prayer closet because they don't have the proper understanding of a God that loves them unconditionally and is waiting to fellowship with them. Is waiting to show them new truths and understanding from the Word of God. Listen, this will affect how you lead. Okay, if you lead anything... If you lead other people, if you have a business and you have employees, this proper understanding will affect how you lead because when you understand how God loves you, you understand your responsibility to show that same love to other people. If you think God is harsh and intolerant, that's how you will lead other people. If you think God is gracious and merciful and kind and, and, and forgives wrong and doesn't keep any records of wrong, that's how you will treat other people. Some of the harshest people that I've met, this is their problem. Some of the most judgmental, critical people that I've met, this is their problem. They have not, they do not live and abide in the love of God and have that understanding. So they treat people the way they think God is looking at them. 
And if I see someone who is being too harsh, too critical, overly judgmental, I know that they've not been perfected in love. They don't have the proper understanding of what we're talking about this morning. When I understood as a teenager how much God loved me, when I really got that revelation, it completely changed how I interacted with humanity. It completely changed how I interacted with people. Because I could no longer see them through my old judgmental critical lens. I saw them as a child of God that God loved deeply. And I would hear this in the back of my mind as I'm dealing with someone and talking to someone. I would hear this in the back of my mind. That's my son. That's my daughter. Don't you treat them like that. That's my son. That's my daughter. And I love them just like I love you. And so it will affect how you lead. Listen, it will affect how you parent. It should. It'll affect how you parent. Because some of, our, some of us as parents, we're too harsh. We're too, we're too uh, judge, judgmental. We're too critical of our kids. And discipline and all of that needs to happen. It should happen. But it needs to come out of a massive amount of love. Nothing wrong with that. That's our role. That's our duty. That's what we're supposed to do is to guide and correct and, and help and discipline and all of that. But it needs to come out of a place of tremendous, sacrificial love. Look, this will affect how I preach. And you, and you, can, you can translate it to your own life. But if you've ever, if you've ever listened to you know, an angry preacher, you know what I'm talking about. This will affect how I preach. When I understand the love of God, it causes me to see humanity different. It causes me to see people different. It causes me to preach different. Because I'm, I'm talking to a group of people that God loves unconditionally. That God gave His Son Jesus to die for. Shed His blood for. You know, and, and so when I started pastoring, I realized pretty early, you know, I, I did a lot of ministry before I started pastoring the church. But particularly when I started pastoring the church, I realized real quick that uh, there's a lot of challenges to pastoring, and most of them are people, okay, that's, that's the, and I realized real quick there were a lot of challenges, but this one issue alone is what guides everything, it has to, it's what guides everything, yeah, this person is difficult, oh yeah, this is a challenge, yeah, but they're worth it because God loves them unconditionally, and so we'll work with that person, we'll stick with that, but we'll give chance after chance, we'll do what, because God loves them unconditionally, conditionally. So this will affect everything in your life, including your mental health. Okay, part two doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be as long as part one. So don't worry if you're like, man, we're 30 minutes in. Does that mean we're going 60 minutes? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> but it'll be good either way, okay? Um, part two. This is the second one. If you want to have a healthy and sound mind, number one, you need to know God loves you unconditionally. And you need to meditate on that. Remember, we're talking about mind renewal. So you've got to meditate on this over and over and over again. You will find yourself, if you're not meditating on this, you will find yourself slipping in the wrong pattern of thinking. It's like a rut. And you've got to renew your mind, renew your mind until you get back to that, that place. Number two, remember, we're setting a baseline. A healthy mind is full of contentment and gratitude. 
A healthy mind is full of contentment and gratitude. Some of the most uh, unhealthy, mentally unhealthy people you encounter are people who are ungrateful and unthankful. And, by the way, it's one of the most unpleasant type of person to be around in the world. And even people who are very ungrateful and, th- and unthankful and love to gripe and complain don't actually like to be around other people that are like that. <laughs> it's one of the most toxic, just very unpleasant things to be around is a person who is very unthankful, very ungrateful, and they express it verbally a lot through griping and complaining. Now, even God didn't like to be around this one. You remember the children of Israel? <laughs> We're not going to go there on that one. But even God didn't like to be around this. He said, that griping and complaining, I can't handle it anymore. Moses, you take them into the problem. Okay. Listen, ungratefulness and unthankfulness will cause you to be in a very mentally unhealthy place. It doesn't matter if you're right. It doesn't matter if you have a a reason to complain. You're supposed to choose the opposite if you haven't learned that already. We are supposed to choose to be thankful because let me tell you why. Thankfulness, you know what thankfulness is? I'm going to make this real simple. Thankfulness is the direction you fix your eyes. That's all it is. Thankfulness is the direction that you fix your eyes. In a marriage relationship, does every, every marriage, could you look at your spouse and make a list of 25 things you don't like about them? Yeah. You could probably make another list on the other side of 25 things that you love about them. And let me tell you, you got both lists. And all thankfulness is, is the direction that you choose to fix your eyes. If you, if you look over here and you start looking at that negative list, it's going to produce unthankfulness and ungratefulness in your life. And I can't tell you how many people that I've met, they think they have the worst marriage in the world, and the only problem is, is they're ungrateful. I'm not saying this every marriage. I understand there are real marriage problems. But let me just tell you, there are some people that will never be happy. I don't care what you do. Because they have a... They have an ungratefulness issue in their mind and in their heart. So thankfulness is just the direction that you fix your eyes. If you choose to read and meditate on that list of negatives, guess what? You're going to walk around unhappy, ungrateful, complaining, negative, feeling sorry for yourself. And let me tell you, to be thankful, it's a choice to shift your eyes from that list to the other list. And I don't get mad at my wife very often, but when I do, this is what I do. I intentionally force myself to go, you know what, what a great wife. And I'll just go through the list of all the things that I love. And by the way, if you go to prayer with it, that's the same thing God's going to do. You will never go to prayer with a complaint about your spouse and God side with you. Just let me know. If you go to prayer and somebody's siding with you, it's the devil. I just want you to know. <laughs> you will never go to prayer complaining about your spouse and God side with you. Ever. He'll do two things. He'll start talking about you. And he'll start talking about the good 
and what you should be thankful for. God will never, ever side with you on that. So gratefulness and contentment, this is a key to a healthy mind. In any aspect of your life, of course, there are positive and negatives. We can go down the list. Your job, you could be, if you're unhappy with your job, if you're unhappy with your kids, if you're unhappy with your marriage, if you're unhappy with your church, you go down the list. So many times the problem is not the thing, the problem's in you. So many times. It's just an issue of perspective. And you've got you to gotta be self-aware enough to, to know if this is an issue for you. Some people are more pessimistic in nature uh, and more negative in nature than others. Some other people, they see the bright side of life and they're just bubbly and, and they always see the good. But whatever, whichever place you find yourself, it's a habit you've developed from the time you were a child. And it's a rut. And you will always find yourself falling in that rut unless you are intentional to shift your eyes and go, nope, uh-uh, not going there. Not thinking that, not doing that, not meditating on that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the other side, the positive side. And there's always the positive side. Ungratefulness leads to poor Mental health, it is a habit that we get into, but also thankfulness is a habit as well, choosing to give thanks. And again, these two types of people usually get on, their, on each other's nerves. You know, if somebody's wanting to gripe and complain, and then the other person <clears throat> starts to go, yeah, that's true, but, and then they bring up the positive, those two people that get on each other's nerves, you know, it's like... Yeah, you're always trying to bring up. You're always trying to bring up the positive. Can you just let me gripe for a minute? Here's what that person's really saying. I don't want to listen to you. I don't feel like listening to that right now. Let's talk about something positive. Why? Because you're toxic. You're bringing down the whole mood, and this ain't no fun. Let's talk about something more light and bubbly. Why? Because when you are ungrateful, it affects everybody around you. It, it's almost palpable, isn't it? It's almost tangible in the room because you, you can almost walk in a room and not have any knowledge of what's been going on in that room. You can almost walk in a room and like feel the toxicity. What's been happening? There's probably two people in there complaining. That, you, know? you could be at the doctor's office and there's two people over there whispering and somehow you just know. You're like, it feels dirty in here. You know? I, they're probably over there griping. Ruining my day. Thankfulness is the direction you fix your eyes. And to switch it, all you got to do is look the other way. Quit meditating on this set and switch it and look at the other set of information. Let me tell you something else about thankfulness. And you, and you may not think this, this when you first hear it. But I promise you this is true. And I have put this into practice since the first time that I said it. I don't remember where I heard it. Maybe I came up with it. You know, hey, it could be. I don't know. But thankfulness instantly improves every situation. And, and listen, I challenge you to put this in practice. I've been putting this in practice since I first started thinking about this. Thankfulness instantly improves every situation. If you're in a situation you don't like, the first thing you should do, turn to thankfulness, because it's so easy. And what happens is when you start to be thankful, your mood improves, your, your emotions improve. Everything in that. Now, is it, did anything actually change about the situation? No, but it makes it more tolerable and it makes it more enjoyable just by being thankful. So thankfulness instantly improves every situation. Now, you remember how 
I was talking about the fact that it's a, it's a direction we fix our eyes, meaning there's always two sets of information. and any, There's the negative and there's the positive of any situation. So if you're one of those right now that, for example, you've been doing this, and uh, what I have found is when you talk about these things, there's a battle going on in people's mind. And even some of you may be experiencing it right now, where it's like, yeah, 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 but you don't know my situation. You, you don't know my spouse. You don't know. And so you start going through that still. And you're just proving my point. All it is, you're just choosing. You know, you're, because it's so much of a habit, it's so much of a rut. You're going, no, you ain't pulling me from looking at this. I'm going to think negative. I, you can't stop me. I'm going to stay focused on this. Well, you're going to have the fruit of that. And, and look, and I just ask you, is your way working? Is it happy? Are you, are you happy? Are you enjoying it? Are you, if not, let's try something else. Watch what happens when you look the other direction and you fix your eyes on the positive. But for those that need some help with this, let me just give you a little bit of information. If you think your life is so bad and your situation is so bad, let me just give you a few pieces of information. There, there is a slum in India called Kathputli where 10,000 people live in homemade shelters in an area less than the size of a football field. Now, any one of these things, I just think, all the people that are complaining, if they were there for just five seconds, if, if they could just be in that situation for five seconds, they would come back and they would, just get, they would trade it for their old life in, a, in an instant. They would, just, they would just love it so much. On the streets of Mumbai, India, 3,000 children will sleep on the streets tonight. 80% of the girls in this area have been sexually violated by the time they're 12. Many will live a life of forced prostitution and will have had over 5,000 sexual encounters by the time they're 18. Over 1 million children are forced into sex trafficking every year. 16,000 children die worldwide every day due to a lack of food and malnutrition. That's one child every five seconds. In 2008 alone, 3 million children died before their fifth birthday due to a lack of food and malnutrition. Half the world lives on less than $5.50 a day. Basic sickness and even inclement weather can be life-threatening because they do not have the basics to protect themselves. And these statistics do not even include people who were born with mental or physical handicaps or their children were. It doesn't include the number of people living with terminal diseases that have only a few months to live. It doesn't include parents whose child is one of the 4,000 teenagers who commit suicide every year. And we could go on and we could go on and we could go on. And you might hear stuff like that and you go, I don't want to hear about that. That makes, my, that makes me sad. Yeah, but it can also make you grateful. Because I challenge anybody in this room to compare their situation to even one of these things. And if you, and if you walk away from that still being ungrateful, then you're, you're, you're purposely choosing that. Because, yeah, are things, can things be bad? And we've all done that, by the way. You know, your kids come in, oh, I'm starving. You know, well, you know, there, there are kids in Africa that are starving to death. Yeah, but I'm not in Africa. Yeah, but you could be. And you should be grateful. Look, 
we can sometimes get used to living a life of ease and comfort and wealth and forget how good we have it. It could be a lot worse. And we should be thankful and grateful for what we have. And, and by the way, if we're talking about God's perspective on it, I never saw once, I never saw one time in the Bible where gratefulness or ungratefulness, complaining and griping ever moved the hand of God for anybody. I never saw God get involved because somebody was complaining, ungrateful, and griping. I never saw a prayer answered because of that. Actually, what I, what I think I see from Scripture most often is those are all signals to God that you need to remain in your situation just a little bit longer because you haven't yet learned the lesson that you need to get. The only time I see the hand of God move is when somebody in a bad situation begins to praise Him, begins to thank Him, begins to glorify Him, and begins to say, I don't care what I'm experiencing. I'm still a child of God. I'm still on my way to heaven. I still got my health. Thank God for what He has done in my life. That's the only time I see God move. So if you think by somehow living like that, that God's going to feel sorry for you and get involved, look, let me go ahead and just put that to rest now. God doesn't feel sorry for people. God's moved by faith. That's, feeling sorry for is not how God, God moves. So this is a choice. And again, we're talking about mental health. So the two things, one is meditating and believing on our acceptance by God. But number two is choosing a life of gratefulness. And this is something you'll have a chance to do this afternoon, I promise you. You'll have a chance to do it this afternoon. And I challenge you to put it in practice. Put it in practice. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. In other words, it's a choice. And he says, if there's any of these things available, I want you to choose to think on that instead. Why? Because it's going to change everything. It's going to change your mental health. It's going to change your, your attitude. It's going to change your outlook. It's going to change your experience. How many times have you experienced in your own life where you just had the wrong attitude and you were experiencing the fruit of that and the situation didn't change but your attitude changed? And it was a completely different situation after that. Completely different situation after that. You, you enjoyed it more. You got more out of it. Maybe you learned something just because you switched your attitude. And that's a choice you make. And how do you make it? You make it by switching where your eyes are fixed. Remember, what drives ungratefulness is just what you're looking at and what you're meditating on. So if you're in a negative place mentally, we've got two more we're going to talk about next week, but if you're in a negative place mentally, I want you to start focusing this week on these two things. One, you could use these scriptures, but there's a lot more. Let's start meditating on God's love and acceptance of us, and let's start meditating on being grateful and being thankful, and watch how those areas help improve our mental health. Amen? Amen. Let's stand on our feet this morning.